Good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good day, whatever day you're consuming this. As we record it, it is Tuesday morning. The Bills still alive. Four teams still alive for the Super Bowl championship in one of the strangest, well, no, not one of, the strangest NFL season ever. And the Bills are one of them. That's pretty cool. The Mets are still the Mets. And yet, I think they acted in a way that's not still the Mets. We're going to talk about that. Sabres get a win, which, you know, when you're three games into a season, say something is a must win. Yeah, that might be a bit harsh, but they really needed to get that win. It was very necessary, in my opinion, for them to get that. We're going to break down some Syracuse basketball. I got some theories on the Orange, so we'll talk about that as well. But certainly going to get started with the Bills. And Saturday night, the outcome was what I had thought might happen. I thought the Bills would win that game. I thought they would win by maybe five points, cover the spread, and and maybe threaten the over. I didn't think the over was a lock, but I thought the Bills won. They'd probably have to outscore the Ravens. Ravens' ground game is something that would go directly against a weakness of the Bills, the Bills' ability to stop the run. And yet the weather, I think, was as big a factor in that game as anything else. The passes that you saw down the field for both Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, there was a tail to them for the wind. When you have a kicker, and you know I hate kickers. Kickers suck. But Justin Tucker misses two field goals in a playoff game. Doesn't happen. You could tell from his reaction on the first one that he hit that dead solid. And the wind made it drift into the upright. That right there, when when you get a kicker, and especially a Justin, Tur- a Justin Tucker type kicker, somebody who's solid, done it for years, when they miss, you kind of look at it and go, huh, maybe it's our night. And it really was. Taron Johnson's play will be the play that's going to be remembered from this one, certainly. Maybe maybe the greatest play in Buffalo Bills history. And it's funny, if you start thinking about, well, the great plays, the the noteworthy plays, you know, Don Beebe chasing down Leon Lett. Bills still lost that Super Bowl by, I think it was 52 to 17. The great play uh, of the Super Bowl previous when Norwood misses wide right, Bills loses Super Bowl. All, All of the noteworthy plays that you think of, whether it's Ronnie Harmon, Alligator Army, and one in the corner of the end zone. I don't know that he had money on it. I always theorize, but whatever. You know, we'll we'll let that go for now. That's a conspiracy theory show for another day. But all the the great plays were in Bill's losses. Terrence Johnson's play could potentially be the catalyst to a Bill's Super Bowl. I mean, let's face it. Bill's are one game away from the Super Bowl. In large part because of that play. And, you know, it's funny. If you you watch the game, the way it started out was the way I feared it would start out. The Ravens running with DK Dobbins and Gus Edwards and even Lamar mixed in. Power running attack. The Ravens offensive line isn't what it was when they had Ronnie Stanley at right tackle. Guy's one of the best tackles in the league. Injured earlier this year. Done for the season. Be back next year. That in itself was a factor, and I'll get into that. But they were road-grading the Bills, and the Bills, they haven't been able to 
stand up to a strong running attack all year. And that was going to be the game plan each way. Make them beat you on the ground. And yet, at the same time, Lamar was going to be comfortable there. But I think where the night swung to the Bills' side was the pressure and the discipline of the Bills' defensive line. Jerry Hughes played an unbelievable game. And, and Jerry Hughes, through his career, has been many things. He's been a dominant pass rusher for a long time. He's also been a very undisciplined, undisciplined player for a long time. And not just in getting stupid penalties, but in his pass rush techniques. But if you watch this game, they didn't run past Lamar Jackson in the pocket. They would fan out and, and settle in at the quarterback, both defensive ends, whether it was Hughes, even Trent Murphy was a factor. Addison was a factor. It was excellent to see. And Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott came up with some blitzes. The sack by Levi Wallace early on, huge play. The, the blitzes confused Lamar Jackson a little bit. The discipline of the pass rush frustrated Lamar Jackson a little bit. And the Bills linebackers being at full strength and full speed, Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds, both seemed to be flying around the field all night on Saturday night. And they set the stage. And the Bills took advantage of things when they happened. Early on, the drop by Gabriel Davis. This is a young man who's had a great rookie season from a fourth-round pick. He has to make that catch. On a night where Cole Beasley shut out because of his injury, John Brown steps up and catches eight balls. Stephon Diggs was, well, Stephon Diggs. The Bills come out in the second half after zero runs in the first half, run the ball down the field, and get the key touchdown on a play perfectly set up by Brian Dable. And it's funny with Brian Dable. He was a god in Buffalo three weeks ago. The Bills get to the playoffs to play two excellent defensive teams. Dable's game plan maybe not as good as during the regular season or maybe just going against better competition. All of a sudden, people are like, what's Dable doing, man? He's spending too much time trying to get that next gig. Well, good news is it doesn't look like that next gig is coming this year for Dable and the Bills. Bad news for Brian Dable because I do believe he deserves that shot. Good news for the Bills because no matter what happens Sunday and two weeks from Sunday, the Bills likely will have Brian Dable in the stable again next year with Josh Allen to build on what's been a remarkable season. But, you know, you talk about Josh and 23 of 37, 206 touchdown. There was a fumble on a pass rush. It's again, something that Josh does too often, I think, not take care of the football in the pocket. You got, you always have room for improvement. And that's Josh's room for improvement. But no interceptions on a night where it's tough to throw the ball. He missed some throws, but made some really good throws, too. He did enough. But the play of the game was clearly Taron Johnson's 101-yard touchdown uh, interception return of Lamar Jackson's. Take a listen to John Murphy and the Bills radio network and take a look at what Taron Johnson did.
Hill off the right shoulder. The snap. Lamar Jackson back to throw. Guns it into the end zone. Intercepted. Two yards deep in the end zone. Intercepted by Taron Johnson. And he brings it out. And he's still on the run. He may go all the way. He's at the ball. The more 40. The 30. Gets a block at the 20. 10. 5. Touchdown. Touchdown. Taron Johnson goes 102 yards with an end zone interception. Touchdown, Buffalo. Unbelievable. The play of the season. Taron Johnson stepped in front of Mark Andrews. It looked like Lamar was going to try and punch it in. He stepped in from the outside, kept his balance. Just a phenomenal play. Great call by Murph on that one, the excitement. It was third and nine. And, you know, as I'm watching the play, I'm thinking if the Bills hold them to a field goal here, 10 to six, get something going, get down, get a field goal, keep it at a touchdown. Make them score twice to beat you is what I was thinking because of the way the play, the game was unfolding, the defense doing their job. And when he stepped in front, I thought, okay, go down, breaks the tackle, and then it was, wait a minute. And and I think Tredavious White doesn't get enough credit for what he did. The hustle play to get him the one block that he needed. And, you know, Lamar Jackson is the fastest guy in the football field every time he steps on it when he's being chased. But it was a little different when he was chasing somebody. Did you notice that? For a guy who never gets caught, how does he not catch somebody? That was very surprising to me. I don't know if it wasn't an, the effort or if he saw that he was going to have to fight through a block to get there, the block of Le- Levi, I'm sorry, the block of Tredavious White. But it was strange to me that Lamar didn't catch him. Just a great, great play. And Taron Johnson goes from the guy who got hit in the head at the combine for looking the wrong way on a pass drill to a guy who got benched to the guy who's been playing solid nickel corner since he's come back from that benching earlier this year to a guy who made the biggest play arguably in Bill's franchise history. And it's funny because I would have gone a long way before I'd got to Taron Johnson being that guy before Taron Johnson becomes the guy who's going to intercept the pass and change the game. But he did. So just an excellent, excellent play by Taron Johnson. The Bills move on. The game plan was great. There isn't a whole lot of picking to do in this one. You know, you want stylistic points every time you win, especially the way the Bills season has gone where, you know, they're putting up half a nickel, half a hundred on teams. They're putting up 40 on Denver. It's just You'd like to see a blowout. You'd like to see 38 points. But against a good defensive team, against a team in the wind, you take what you get. And this time of year, you look at it, and and you look at the AFC. Kansas City's clearly the the class of the AFC. But beyond that, the next three best teams, in my opinion, and you can put them in whatever order you want, were the Bills, the Ravens, and the Colts. Those were the three next best teams. So the Bills have played, in my opinion, 
two of the three best opponents that to play the rest of the year. And the next best opponent is this Sunday in Kansas City. So we're certainly going to talk about that. The one negative I'll say is Brian Dable with zero runs in the first half, and I get it. Tennessee couldn't run it against this defense a week ago. You have to protect your quarterback by calling runs early in the game. Give the defense one other thing to think about as they go through. Don't let them tee off and just pin their ears back. And I thought no runs in the first half was a mistake, but an excellent, excellent game, an excellent win. The crowd in Buffalo for 7,6700 people was about as loud as you could imagine. That was impressive. The Ravens had to go to a silent snap count. If you've ever been to a high school football game in the Carrier Dome or maybe a sectional championship game or maybe even better, a sectional semifinal game at the Blue Cross Arena and seen 2,000 people in Blue Cross or seen 7,000 people in the Carrier Dome, you can hear a pin drop. You can hear everything. That wasn't New Era Field on Saturday night. That wasn't Ralph Wilson Stadium. That wasn't Rich Stadium. It was loud. It was great. Those fans deserved that moment. I only regret that we couldn't have 67,000 people in that stadium. I, I really feel bad for those members of Bill's Mafia who go week in, week out, and have gone week in, week out for years, and now they don't get to go. But it's it's been cool to see everybody finding ways to have the parties at their houses and enjoy the things at home. And frankly, Western New York needed a, a boost, and they got one from the Buffalo Bills, and they're still playing. So we'll talk more about the Bills matchup on Sunday in a minute, go through the rest of the games this weekend. KC gets by Cleveland, and this is the game that, of course, everyone's talking about because of the Patrick Mahomes injury situation. Talk more about what I expect from Mahomes. But when he went out, to me, this game was there for Cleveland. And Kevin Stefanski mismanaged this game. And I've talked a lot about this with Sean McDermott. Young coaches in the playoffs waste timeouts and opportunities. And because of that, they lose playoff games. And Stefanski did that. The challenge of Tyreek Hill's catch it's right in front of you. I get it. The ball bobbled. But you cannot, if you're not sure, just because you want it to be, you can't challenge that there. You absolutely cannot take a chance unless you saw with your eyes that ball hit the ground. You cannot challenge that there. And then Baker quarterback sneaks on a fourth and one. You can't get the play in. You don't have the next play ready to go. That's a sin that cannot be tolerated in the fourth quarter of a playoff game. I'd rather take a delay a game penalty there in five yards than waste the timeout because you've got four downs. It's, it's first down. First and 15 is manageable. You're going to need more yards than that anyway. The timeout is everything, and they didn't do it. And then on fourth and nine, with only one timeout left and about three and a half minutes, four minutes, they punt the ball. Can't punt it there. 
Look, we could talk all day about Rashard Higgins' fumble. And frankly, everyone wants that rule overturned. What would be the result of overturning that rule? The fumble into the end zone goes out of the end zone. It's a turnover. The other team gets it on the 20. What is the result if we overturn it? We're going to put it back to the 25. What do you think every player is going to do when they get near the end zone? Just reach the ball out. There's going to be more fumbles in the end zone and out of the end zone. Every time a guy runs to the sideline, it's going to be part of the play. There's no real severe consequence. So why not try it? The rule's right. Yeah, it's penal, but guess what? Don't fumble the ball. You fumble the ball, you get what you got coming. And Higgins did. And, you know, frankly, for the refs to miss the helmet-to-helmet, and we didn't see a whole lot of helmet-to-helmet calls. We didn't see a whole lot of calls for defenseless receivers. We didn't see a whole lot of P.I. Guess what? It's the playoffs. It's like playoff hockey. How often do you see penalties in playoff hockey? Not very often. Boys, go out and play. That's what the NFL is doing. And, frankly, I'm okay with it. Both teams know. Hey, go out and play. We're not going to throw a bunch of flags. You guys decide this game. So if it's blatant, we'll get it. But if it's not, we're going to err on the side of keeping the flags in the pocket. Fans should be rejoicing over this. Yes, it was a missed call. Yes, it was a missed opportunity. Hagan's can't make that fumble there. Can't make that play. Stefanski even talked about it after the game. We coach guys not to do that. But Stefanski's the one who cost the Browns this game. And and look, you know, other than Skip Bayless, who loves Baker Mayfield more, he continues to say, take him over Josh Allen. Skip Bayless is a fucking idiot. All right. I don't use that word on this podcast very often, but he is. And anyone who listens to him is a bigger fucking idiot. So understand this about Baker Mayfield. He's a good quarterback. He is what he is. You can win with him. But you run the football around him. Stefanski didn't do that either. Baker threw the ball, I think, 38 times. And you had 17 combined runs from Chubb and Hunt. No. That's not how you beat Kansas City. That's not how you win that game. Browns fans had a great year, and I'm happy for it because, you know, when I when I did the radio show, I had a couple guys, particularly, and a lot of other guys in general, who were huge Browns fans. I'm so happy they finally got that year. Kevin Stefanski does a good job, and he created a culture that you can win with in Cleveland. He's got to look at this game and look at his coaching and understand That in the playoffs, you play to your strengths. You don't go away from Nick Chubb. By the way, it would help if Nick Chubb didn't drop like four balls against Kansas City. So the Chiefs move on. Going to get to Patrick Mahomes. Not not ignoring that. Tampa moves on. Tom Brady outplayed Drew Brees. Brees turns it over three times. Saints turn it over four times total. Probably Brees' last gasp, last chance, last ride, whatever you want to call it. Cool video of Brady and Breeze and the Breeze family on the field after the game. Brady throwing the ball to Breeze's kid while Breeze's daughter's beating the crap out of his other son. If you've seen the video, you know what I'm talking about. This girl is uh, like off the top rope throwing hammer drops on, on her brother 
and the kid's just taking it. And when Brady walks off, he says, hey, be nice to your sister. Be nice to your sister. She's kicking the crap out of him. Yeah, it was a it was a very cool moment. Drew Brees, class act. He'll be likely in the TV booth next year, and I think he'll be very good in the TV booth. I, I, I love to watch Brees play because I thought what New Orleans did with him, Sean Payton and he working together, it was, it was great, great marriage. And I thought that team was one of the more fun teams to watch. If you look at the numbers, at 19-34, 134 yards. Breeze isn't the same guy. It's time. It's tough to watch legends get old. This legend has gotten old. Brady, I've been on Brady all year. He's got his team to the championship game again. 14th time he's gone to a championship game. It's, it's unbelievable. And you want to talk about records that will never be broken? Throw that next to DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak. It's just incredible what he's done over the course of his career. And, you know, people now are convinced Brady or Belichick. Well, Brady's still playing. Belichick's been out for a month. I guess it's Brady. I'm not ready to say that. We'll see long-term what Belichick can do without Brady. And by long-term, I mean the next three years. But I do think that Brady is proving everyone there's still life in that 43-year-old body. And it's pretty amazing what he's done. The Packers beat the Rams, and, you know, the Rams come in with Aaron Donald banged up, Jared Goff banged up, Packers had a week off, rested. This game went the way it should have, but it's Aaron Rodgers. The play to Lazar, where Rodgers sees something, motions to him, play action, throws a perfect pass, Lazar goes in, it changes the game. And with he and Devontae Adams, you can't cover Devontae Adams. It's just such a lethal combination. You add to the mix now that Aaron Jones gets almost 100 yards on on, nine, on 14 carries. Cam Akers couldn't quite do enough for the Rams, though he kept them in it. Rams were game. Just the, the result happened the way it should have. So that's what's going on. We're going to talk about the championship games. Coach and Carousel, I want to throw this in quickly. No Dable, maybe Frazier in Houston. That's good for the Bills. Jets go with Sala. Robert Sala, the 49ers defensive coordinator. Guy reminds me of McDermott, where he's an energy guy. He's a culture guy. He's going to hold people accountable. I think that's exactly what the Jets need now if Woody and Christopher Johnson can just stay the hell out of the way, let Joe Douglas build that roster, let Sala make the – make those guys better. And I think this Jets team could be a factor in the coming years. Dan Campbell to the Lions, interesting hire, but apparently a guy who players just love. They they absolutely love this guy and, and play for him. And, and he's got something. He's got that it. Uh, you're seeing right there, two hires, culture. You, you're seeing that. You're not seeing – as much he's a strategy guy, he's this he's culture. Same with the Chargers with Brandon Staley. Here's a guy who a couple of years ago, five years ago, was the D coordinator at Division Three, John Carroll. And now he's a head coach of the L.A. Chargers. We talk about a meteoric rise, but again, a guy who just seems to have the it factor. The it factor is, is taking over from the X's and O's and, and things like that. And I think 
a lot of it has to do with Sean McDermott and the success that he has had changing the Bills' culture and building a program around it. Arthur Smith goes to the Falcons. Do you know Arthur Smith's father started FedEx? Arthur Smith's father's a multi-billionaire, and yet this guy's worked his ass off to become an NFL head coach. That right there says a ton about Arthur Smith to me. Don't know how he'll be as a head coach, but that factoid right there is pretty amazing. And then, of course, the Jags going with Urban Meyer. And Urban Meyer, if he's healthy, and it, I, I believe he would have to be, is one of the, if not the best college coach of all time, he's probably second to Nick Saban. His health has gotten him out of Florida, got him out of Ohio State. I don't know what it'll do, be like in Jacksonville. But you look at that Jags team, number one overall, Trevor Lawrence, got multiple draft picks in the second round, another first rounder as well. You put the right staff together. You, again, the culture that Urban Meyer is going to bring to the table, I think he's got a chance to do in Jacksonville what Jimmy Johnson did in Dallas and what Jimmy Johnson started to do in Miami. People look at Johnson's Miami tenure as a failure. Well, the failure in Miami was Dan Marino was at the end. Johnson was ready to move on from him. The organization was not, couldn't get the quarterback situation right. So, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback. I think Urban Meyer will get the quarterback situation right. So that's the setup for this weekend, championship weekend, Sunday. First game, of course, Bucks packers They bet earlier this year, and it was interesting. It was Adamican Sue getting in the face of Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers throwing a couple picks and uncharacteristically getting rattled. I'll be intrigued to see if Sue tries to hit Rodgers late, cheap, does something to get under his skin. JPP was there, part of it. They were chirping a lot at Rodgers. And it, you know, Rodgers is usually the guy who's here, unflappable. Well, he was rattled and, and made some decisions in that game that you don't normally see. I, I wonder how that goes. Jair Alexander was great on Sunday against the Rams. Actually allowed negative three yards passing against him. It put him up against Mike Evans. And Evans isn't 100%, but he's still out there balling because he's a great player. And forced Brady to go elsewhere with the football. Which running game has the better day, I think, determines this game. You look at Aaron Jones, what he's consistently done, you expect him to be around 100 yards. But with Tampa, with what they've got going, Ronald Jones is coming back from injury and had some nice runs on Sunday. Leonard Fournette's running the ball the best he has all year. If that offensive line, which is a big, physical, nasty offensive line, can create running room, then I think Brady's going to get a shot or two downfield. They have a chance. Always, always will I go for the Packers at home in January. This isn't any exception. I expect the Packers to win. Remember this. The game, the Super Bowl game is in Tampa. It is the game that everyone tries to get to, but nobody who's ever hosted the Super Bowl game gets there. Tampa's trying to be the first. And I get it that Brady's been the first for a lot of things, won't be the first for this. 
Now onto the Bills and Casey. The Patrick Mahomes injury is going to be the story of the week. And frankly, that's great for the Bills. It gives them an opportunity to fly under the radar, to prepare for this game as the other team. It's you watch Sports Center, 10 minutes on the game, seven minutes on Mahomes, three minutes on the Bills. Just the way Sean McDermott wants it. I believe Mahomes will play. If you want a great follow for injury insight, Dr. Chow, who used to be the team surgeon for the Chargers, he goes as Pro Football Doc on Twitter. Follow him. The concussion protocol, which Mahomes is in, you don't necessarily need to have suffered a concussion to be in that protocol. But to get out of the protocol, you need to be ruled non-concussed. And there is a multi-step process that is required to get out of the concussion protocol to allow you to play in the next game. Mahomes, I don't believe, suffered a concussion. If you watch the hit, there really isn't a whole lot there with the head. I think it was more of a neck injury, a neck situation. And it's one of those things that, yes, it's a factor, and yes, it could be significant, but I also think it's something that will clear up quicker than if it were a concussion. So I expect Patrick Mahomes to play. So with that as the backdrop, with Mahomes playing, how do you stop the Chiefs? Well, earlier in the year when the Bills tried to, they dared him to run. The Chiefs ran the ball for over 260 yards, controlled the clock all night. The Bills have played two games where they, di- they didn't win time of possession. I would expect this to be the third game. They don't win time of possession. When you don't have the football, your defense is going to get more tired. Your offense is under more pressure because they have less chances to do something. You're playing with fire. I think the Bills modify that game plan before. I also think the fact that Tremaine Edmonds was playing injured, I think that Matt Milano's absence was a factor in that game. Those two being back certainly helps this situation. I think that Milano's speed in coverage could be a factor. Travis Kelsey's going to be a huge part of this game plan. I do expect Tyreek Hill to have some chances down the field. I would expect him to be an impact player. But the the guy that scares me most is Kelsey because he's basically unguardable at this point. And, you know, he's the Bills have Cole Beasley, who gets open underneath. The Chiefs have Kelsey. And Kelsey's run after the catch ability is what sets him apart. He's so big. He's so strong that he's going to gain five, seven yards every time after he catches it. That's where it really scares me. If Clyde Edwards-Alaire is able to go, it's a huge bonus for the Chiefs. I don't expect that. He wasn't dressed on Sunday. The Chiefs' running game, I think, without him. Williams is solid, but I take my chances. The key is going to be whether or not the reinvented Chiefs' offensive line can contain the Bills' defensive line, and can the Bills create pressure packages to take advantage of those matchups. Jerry Hughes needs to play another great game. Put hits on Pat Mahomes. Again, keep him in the pocket. Andy Reid is going to be dynamic. He always is. It's just what he does. You know Andy Reid if you're Sean McDermott. You know his tendencies. You know what he's going to do. 
figure out a way to slow them down. Offensively, Josh hasn't had a great game. He was very good against the, the Colts. He was okay and did enough in the wind against the Ravens. But if the Bills are going to get to the Super Bowl and let alone win the Super Bowl, Josh Allen needs to have a game that we all talk about for a long time. You know what I'm saying? 340 yards, four touchdowns, really light it up. I think the matchups are there for the Bills offense to do so. I think that they can get guys open and Diggs and Beasley, another week of health. John Brown clearly back to health. Gabriel Davis catching that pass in the end zone, not letting it go through his hands. All of these little things, and, and, and again, this may be a game decided by one or two little things. You don't make a play, so you settle for a field goal. You, on third down, get a penalty to keep a drive alive for your opponent. Those are the things that are going to decide this one. I think the Bills' offensive line has been largely overlooked during this playoff run. They've done a very good job of keeping Josh upright, keeping Josh in the pocket has clearly been a priority for the first two games. The runs against the Colts were designed runs, but you haven't seen a whole lot of Josh scrambling from the pocket for 15 yards. It's It's been well-documented what he can do, and teams have taken note, and they've taken it away. So it's going to be fun, and I, I think the final piece of the puzzle, and I talked about this prior to this week's game, and frankly, the Bills – didn't win the special teams battle. I thought the Bills won their offense, and I thought they won their defense. Two, those two-thirds are where they won. They tied the special teams battle, and maybe it had to do with the wind, but Bjork as a bass didn't have their great nights, didn't get very much out of Andre Roberts, say, for one kick return. The Bills special teams need to win this game. They need to take advantage of opportunities when field position is needed, Corey Bjorkas needs to be great. It's probably going to be cold and snowy on Sunday in Kansas City. Well, guess what? It's just what the Bills want. They don't want Kansas City feeling great and feeling fast either. These are two teams built on speed. The weather hurts both of them equally. I think in a perfect situation, the advantage would go to the Chiefs because nobody's faster than them. This game comes down to making plays. I'm going to pick the Chiefs because I think they're the better team and I think Mahomes will be there. But if the Bills are going to win, it's going to be Josh Allen to the rescue. Josh, put up 350 and bring home a W. You'll be a legend forever in Buffalo. One final note, Bills have never lost an AFC championship game. They've never won a Super Bowl, but 4-0 in the championship game. And I just hope for all of Western New York that one week from today, I'm talking about what an epic championship game it was and how the Bills now go on to the Super Bowl. And they'd be favored against Tampa. They would be an underdog against the Packers should those matchups happen. Go Bills. All aboard on that bandwagon for sure. So that's the football for this week. Syracuse basketball did not have a good week. Two losses to Carolina and Pitt, both on the road, both very similar. And both teams soundly out-rebounded the Orange. Marek Dolajai 
is had one rebound in each game. Marek is an undersized center. It, it, he'd be great for if Rama Sidibe were, were there. He would be spending most of his time at the four and his six or seven rebounds a game that Marek should be getting and Rama should be getting, complementing the eight or nine that it seems Quincy Garrier is getting every night. I think this team would be much more sound defensively. They gave up 64 points in the second half against Pitt. And, you know, frankly, this team's not playing good zone defense and they're not rebounding the basketball. It's a problem and it's going to continue to be a problem. That coupled with the fact that you've got two guys up top in Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim that are just struggling. They're not having a good year. And I want to break down Joe Girard because he seems to be, I don't want to say the target, but you look at the last couple games, there's a lot going on here. Girard played 26 minutes against Carolina, scored six points. 22 minutes against Pitt, scored two points. Joe Girard, as we all know, scored 50 points a game in high school. The kid never had to think about whether or not he should take a shot. There was a shot, he took it. Who else is going to shoot it at Glens Falls? He is a very good shooter. But here's the problem, psychologically. When you're a guy who never had to think about when to shoot, or more importantly, when not to shoot, you got shots off. And if you missed, it didn't matter because you were shooting next time down. And if you play basketball, you know what I'm talking about. If you aren't the focal point and you miss your first shot, you don't know if you're getting another one. So when you get the other one, you're not in rhythm. You're not ready. You're not confident. You're thinking, I better make this one because I don't know when the next one's coming. Joe Girard's dealing with a lot of mental pressure of how to play this game. Alan Griffin right now has a green light. Buddy Beheim has a green light. Buddy Beheim's not playing well, and that's hurting the Orange big time. But Joe Girard is playing indecisively. I honestly think that the best way for the Orange to get back to what they're doing is for Joe Girard just to start hoisting them up again. Because now teams are starting to sag off of him a little bit and putting more pressure on Buddy or making Alan Griffin work harder for his shots. And the Orange don't have an answer. And Kadari Richmond's seen a lot of time. And when Kadari comes in, you don't respect his three-point shot. He's very good at getting to the rim on occasion, very good at the top of the zone. But he also is indecisive offensively. Quincy Gary has been a revelation. And the two losses, 23 and 11 at Carolina, 18 and 13 at Pitt. But Quincy Garrier, sometimes when he steps out to shoot the three, which he can do, leaves the middle of the lane wide open. And there is nothing in that lane. Last year, Elijah Hughes did a great job of shooting the ball from deep and taking the ball to the hole. This year, the Orange don't have a finisher that can take it to the hole. They have guys who can shoot it and they can surround. But here's the thing, and here's where I think some of the criticism goes to the Hall of Fame. And, yes, he's won 1,100 games, and I've won zero. But doesn't mean I don't get to have an opinion on his team. Jim Beheim's offense is a, quote-unquote, emotion offense. But watch them. There's no motion. Nobody runs. When's the last time you saw Buddy Beheim come off a double-low screen and catch and shoot? Great coaches get great shooters good looks. 
And great shooters knock down good looks all the time. If the looks aren't good, something's got to be done to make them better. What has been done, what has been done differently to create looks to get guys like Gerard and Behan going early in a game? You saw against Carolina, Behan got going, and in that game he had 18. I don't think he had a point after after halftime. And he was on fire in the first half. What has Jim Beheim done? What adjustments has he made to get this team to play better offense? I, I put a lot of this at the feet of the Hall of Famer. He's not done a good job of creating opportunities for his team. And I, I get it that they don't have a true point guard. And Kadari is that true point guard, but he's a freshman. And you're trying to keep Gerard engaged and involved. Make an adjustment, Jim. And I really think, you know, between the talent that he's recruited, which hasn't been great, it's good talent, but it's not great ACC talent. It's not top-of-the-line ACC talent. You're recruiting three- and four-stars, not five-star guys, and you're seeing guys who are improving and going on. Elijah Hughes, certainly, I believe Quincy Garrier will be gone after this year. Guys who weren't necessarily – Pro players, when they got there, become pro players, and that's a credit to the program. But I think between the recruiting and the lack of adjustment on offense, to I don't care about the zone. The zone's still effective. More teams are playing the zone defense now than ever before. So don't tell me it's about the zone defense. It's about the offense, and it's about the lack of ability to create offense and to create opportunities for his guys. This team has a chance to be a tournament team. It also has a chance to be a team that plays to a below 500 record in the ACC because they're not confident offensively and they're very individualistic offensively. When they move the ball and they move their feet offensively, they get good looks. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen often enough and it's up to the Hall of Famer to figure out a way to get that done. Baseball, the Yankees had a good day the other day. Signed DJ LeMahieu, signed Corey Kluber. Both, I think, good moves. Now, Kluber, we could say it's a lot of money for a guy who hasn't really done much the last couple of years. And I agree, it is. But this is the Yankees, and they've got money. And I don't care about the luxury tax threshold that they're apparently so worried about. It's still the Yankees, and it's still their pocketbook, not mine. How do you look at this team now? Is bringing back the band for another ride good enough there was some talk this weekend that they were trying to get castillo out of cincinnati doesn't look like that's going to happen because glaber torres was the ass going the other way in addition to maybe a clint frazier but not going to happen there the question to me is and i think it is is this team good enough to win the american league championship and i i think it is you might need more pitching, but who knows how long the season's going to be. Major League Baseball right now is so screwed up that the National League teams don't know whether or not there's a DH or not. Listen, I don't know much about baseball, but setting a roster up to have a DH or not have a DH is a fairly important position. Yet here we are in almost late January at this point, and that you know spring training theoretically happens in three weeks which is not because baseball 
doesn't want to lose a full amount of a full season's worth of money. It's just mismanagement by Rob Manfred yet again. Get it figured out, Rob, soon. Baseball under the radar right now, soon to be the one sport that we're all going to be talking about because it's the only sport that's going to happen this summer. But when's it going to happen? I, we're looking at another 80-game season, I'm telling you. And it's not good for the game whatsoever. The Mets. I got to address this. Jared Porter. Did you know Jared Porter was the Mets GM? Named about a month ago as a GM. I don't know what role he had in the Francisco Lindor trade. I don't know what his role was in the building. But he was the Mets GM. Apparently in 2016, while as a member of the Chicago Cubs organization, he decided to send 60-plus texts that weren't answered to a female reporter, including a picture of his junk. Good, smooth move. You know, I think I've read anyway on the Internet that that works about every time. And when I say works, it gets you out of the present job you have every time. If you're a dude, just be smart. And I, you know, as somebody who's worked in bars my entire life, I've seen more guys not be able to read signals from a woman. And it's embarrassing. If you're a guy, don't be a jerk. Don't be an idiot. Guess what? If she's not responding to you, move on. She doesn't want anything to do with you. You don't up the ante when you're losing. You don't. Show up at the fire with a can of gasoline. Unbelievable. Jared Porter gets fired this morning about 12 hours after it came out that it came out. And he sent a picture. And, and it's just mind-boggling how stupid men are. We here we are in Rochester where one of our civic leaders met a young girl at, at a shooting and gave her his card and sent illicit texts and sent it picture of course because you know she probably wanted him idiots dudes are idiots and if you do that and and it's uh, unsolicited is the key word unsolicited no no unsolicited dick pics should ever be sent but yet dudes do it all the time it's just mind-boggling and now this jared porter loses a baseball career that he worked hard and finally got a gm job Nice. Well done. And the poor woman, she's out of baseball. She's had left baseball and has another career now. We don't know who the woman is, but again, she didn't deserve that. It's ridiculous. Guys, stop being stupid. Final note, the Sabres get a win last night. How about that? Words I didn't think I'd say today. They start 0-2 against the Capitals and look just lethargic and lifeless. And you know what? Frankly, they look like the Sabres. Defense isn't good. The offense, top six, very good. Bottom six. Eh. But last night, changed some things up. Put Taylor Hall and Jack Eichel, along with Sam Reinhart, on that line. And that line looked great. And, and again, I don't think there's the depth of this organization needed long-term to be successful this year. But for one night, that first line looked great. Eichel and Hall each had three assists. Reinhardt had two goals. Sabres get a win. Now, they play Philly again tonight. Can they even it up? We'll see. I just think that this team isn't ready to compete yet. 
I think this season, the realignment will hurt them because it's a very difficult division. And I think that this Sabres organization still hasn't found their being in McDermott. I know many people are hoping that the two guys in charge now become being in McDermott. I, I don't see it. And I, I'm not lost face in, faith in Ralph Kruger yet, but who's gotten better under Ralph Kruger's watch? What player, maybe Victor Olofsson, which I thought all he needed was an opportunity anyway, which player has exceeded expectations with Kruger as the head coach? And again, we're looking at a, a short window and you don't change coaches every two years, but this guy has got to have a better year this year than he did last year because I thought some key talent regressed last year. And I think it's time for that key talent to improve. And if Kruger's the guy, he's going to show that talent can improve. So that's the podcast for this week. Bills, Chiefs on Sunday. Cannot wait. I know many of you are excited for it. Expect Mahomes. Don't get your hopes up that way. And frankly, beating the Chiefs in Kansas City with Mahomes will be a lot sweeter than everyone saying, yeah, well, if Mahomes was there, would you have gotten to the Super Bowl? So expect to play the best and expect to play, have to play your best to beat the best. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. 